The story of Jonah continues. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I call to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. You cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. How can I look again upon your holy temple? The waters close in over me. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the foot of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit. O Lord, my God, as my life was ebbing away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who worship vain idols forsake their true loyalty. But I, with a voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Deliverance belongs to the Lord. Then the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out onto dry land. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Amen. Well, for a couple of weeks, I want us to linger with Jonah. Jonah is a prophet of God, and I don't know if you've noticed, but being a prophet of God is a job that almost nobody wants. Jeremiah said he would rather die than be a prophet. Moses tried to substitute his brother Aaron. Isaiah asked, what do you want me to say? And when God told him, he said, how long do I have to say that? Even Jesus in the Gethsemane Garden said, I do not want what you want. Evidently, to have the word of God so clearly in your heart that you are confident in telling others what God wants of them is not an easy place to be. It's not easy because prophets were often called to tell people where they had failed. Now, having said that, I admit I've known people who were kind of acted like they were applying for that job all the time. They're quite good at telling those around them just how they have failed, but being able to tell those around you how they failed doesn't necessarily mean you're a prophet. It could just mean you're a jerk. <laughs> what made the prophets reluctant is that prophets were often called to speak to those that they loved, and telling those that you love where they have failed is nothing to celebrate. But Jonah's reluctance is different. God called Jonah to speak not to those he loved, but to go to Nineveh, the capital of Assyria. That empire had brutalized Israel. Jonah's trouble is not that he loved the Assyrians. He clearly did not. Jonah's trouble is that he feared God might love the Assyrians. And when God loves the wrong people, it makes us mad. I'll talk about that a little bit more next week. But today, 
We meet Jonah in the belly of the fish. You know the story. He's called to go to Nineveh. He catches a boat in the opposite direction. He's thrown overboard to protect the innocents on the boat from a storm. Then he spends the weekend in the belly of a fish who evidently dines on krill and disobedient prophets. If you want to know what kind of fish it was, it was a big one. And it is in this moment in the belly of the fish that Jonah prays. And it's not a prayer of lament, why has this happened to me? It is not a prayer of supplication, how long, O oh Lord, must I endure? No, he prays a prayer of thanksgiving. He prays with a voice of thanksgiving, I will sacrifice for you. I find the timing of this prayer to be odd. Jonah gives thanks when he is at his lowest point. While he sits in the belly of a great fish, surrounded by whatever else is in the belly of a great fish, he gives thanks to God. This prayer might make more sense to me if it had come after Jonah had been delivered but here it seems like gratitude expressed ahead of schedule. I suppose there's something about being in the belly of the fish that is clarifying. Sometimes crisis can be our teacher. Sometimes crisis can teach us who we are or who we want to be. And sometimes it is in crisis that we see God most clearly. I read of Captain Dmitry Kolesnikov. He was a crewman on the old Russian submarine, the Kursk. It was almost 25 years ago now, the sub suffered an explosion in which most of the 118 crewmen were killed instantly, but 23 survived for a while. From the belly of the sub on the bottom of the barren sea, Kolesnikov wrote to his wife, none of us can get to the surface, he wrote. The emergency lighting had gone out, leaving them in a chilling darkness. He continued, I'm writing blindly now. Yes, in one sense, but in another sense, he was seeing things very clearly. In that moment, he wasn't a crewman on a sub. In that moment, he wasn't primarily defined as a Russian sailor. In that moment, he knew he was a husband. He was defined by who he loved and who loved him. And the only thing that mattered in that moment was to connect to her. He wrote, I hope this, they find this note so that I can tell you one more time that I loved you to the end. It's been my experience that often a crisis can teach us who we are or who we want to be. And often a crisis is the place we see God the most clearly. And Jonah realized that he was not just a prophet. He was a prophet called by God. Like it or not, 
He was called by God. He belonged to this God. And that's all that mattered to him in this moment. Uh, Thomas Foster wrote the book, How to Read Literature Like a Professor, sort of unpacking a lot of the metaphor and meaning. And he, he writes in there that if a literary character falls into a pond or a stream or finds him or herself in a drenching rainstorm, they might drown. But if they come back up, it's baptism. Well, Jonah hasn't come back up yet, but he is the poster boy of baptism by immersion. And in baptism, we celebrate that we belong to God. We are claimed by God. And we Presbyterians, you have noticed, we, we kind of like to baptize infants, young children, because we want to make this point very clearly. You don't belong to God because you're good. You don't belong to God because you're smart or faithful or talented. You don't belong to God because of what is in your heart. You belong to God because of the love that lives in God's heart. The Word of God came to Jonah not because of what was in Jonah's heart, but because of the love in God's heart. And I think Jonah knew that was true. It's a love that called him by name. And at his lowest point, that alone was enough to make him thankful. Now, I don't know who wrote this little short story of Jonah, but I tell you, had I written it, I would have had Jonah give thanks, but I would probably have waited until he was on the beach. Gratitude comes more naturally when life is good. One of my favorite places in the world one of my favorite places in the world is Quetico, Canada. It's a national park just over the border from Minnesota. It's miles and miles of lakes and woods. There are no cabins. There are no motorized boats. They're just canoes and tents. And several summers ago, I went with my son, just he and I. He was 24 years old at the time. We carried our gear and our food and our fishing poles. And when we got to the portages, that's where you carry all of that gear from one lake to the next. He carried the canoe. We had six days and five nights. In the middle four days, we did not see another soul. It was just the two of us in the wilderness. We ate fish that we'd caught an hour earlier. We watched bald eagles feed. We built campfires and we talked late into the night. And I'll never forget the last night of that trip. We sat by the fire and almost miraculously, low in the night sky, we could see Venus and Jupiter and Saturn and Mars all hanging there. But what I remember about that night is the realization that came to me as I looked at this 24-year-old kid of mine. I realized I would always be his dad, but I was not his parent anymore. He didn't need that for me anymore. He will always be my son but I am no longer his parent. Am I making any sense to you? 
we had gotten to a place we were supposed to get to. And it was good. And my gratitude was overwhelming. When life is good, gratitude is reasonable, sometimes almost inescapable because life's circumstances are so filled with blessing. But that is not Jonah's story. Jonah, life is not good for Jonah. He prays because he believes his life is over. He says he prays from the belly of Sheol. Sheol is the place of the dead. It's not hell. It's not punishment. It's just, it's just dead. And from the belly of Sheol, he prays with a voice of thanksgiving. It strikes me as thanksgiving ahead of schedule. Nothing good has happened yet except this. As strange as it is, I think this is the moment when Jonah clearly understands that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Even in the belly of Sheol, he has claimed by God. We read this story because you and me, we're Jonah. We are. You are going to find yourself in the belly of the fish from time to time. You will. And when the crisis comes, you don't want to waste a crisis. Because sometimes crisis can be our best teacher. I'm not being romantic about this, and it's not automatic either. But sometimes crisis can teach us who we are or who we want to be. And sometimes, sometimes it is in the midst of crisis that we see God most clearly. If I understand the text, Jonah is thankful because this unfaithful prophet who has rejected the call of God still belongs to God. With a voice of thanksgiving, he says, I will sacrifice for you. Old Testament scholar Phyllis Tribble is a brilliant scholar, and Dr. Tribble would hate my sermon. She's not buying this Jonah is grateful bit. She rightly points out that in chapter 1, Jonah wants nothing to do with God and points out that after Jonah is deposited rather unceremoniously on the beach, he does what God calls him to do, but he's grumpy about it until the very end. She says he's not really grateful. This prayer is what she calls counterfeit piety. Maybe. You might think Dr. Tribble has nailed it, but I wonder, I, I, I wonder if she's a bit too harsh on old Jonah. I think this short story, it teaches us something about gratitude. Gratitude can be something we embrace when the circumstances of life are all good, but there's a deeper gratitude that comes not because the circumstances of life are positive. There's a gratitude that rests in the simple knowledge that we belong to God no matter what. From 1962 to 1990, for just over 27 years, Nelson Mandela sat in prison because of his violent opposition to the violence of apartheid. 
In February of 1969, he penned a letter to his daughters, Zanani and Zingzi, who were nine and ten years old at the time. He wrote this, Zinzi says, her heart is sore because I am not at home and she wants to know when I will come back. I do not know, my darlings, when I will return. I told you that the white judge said I should stay in jail for the rest of my life. It may be long before I return. It may be soon. Nobody knows, not even the judge. But I am certain that one day I will be back at home to live in happiness with you until the end of my days. Do not worry about me now. I am happy, well, and full of strength and hope. Mandela sounds like Jonah. I called on the Lord and he answered me with a voice of thanksgiving, I will sacrifice for you. What am I saying? I'm saying I think in crisis we see ourselves and sometimes we see God most clearly of all. And when we do, what we see is that no matter the circumstance, we belong to God, not because of what's in our hearts, but because of the love that lives in God's heart. And when we see that, it might be enough to make us grateful. Years ago, I traveled to Louisville, Kentucky, about 10 months before I went, horrific floods washed through and destroyed communities in and around Louisville. My wife Carol and I and a couple of van loads of youth from our church and a few other adults, we went to help. We spent a week working on Sophie's house we were, as I said, 10 months after the flood, but when we walked into her modest home, most of her furniture was pushed to the center of the rooms and the walls, all of the walls in her home were bare studs from the waist down. Some group before had come through and ripped out all of the ruined sheetrock that the floodwaters had destroyed, but no one had been back to replace the sheetrock. That was our job. We spent a week putting up sheetrock in Sophie's home, we didn't get the job completely finished. So when the week was ended, still a lot of the furniture was pushed to the center of the room. She didn't know when another group would come to finish the job. Before we left, we stood in her front yard and we held hands and we prayed. And Sophie prayed this, Lord, you have not forgotten me. It is your face I have seen in the faces of these young people. All I have needed, your hand has provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. And I was stunned. The crisis did not define her faith. Her faith defined the crisis. Here's what I want you to reflect on this week. Your life will be a mixed bag. It'll be a mixture of plenty and want, joy and sorrow, sickness and health. 
it will. I hope it leans toward the blessed, but you'll have your share of the broken as well. We all do. But no matter the circumstances, you belong to God. There is no power in heaven or earth that can change that. And when you remember that that is the whole truth, even from the bottom, there's room for gratitude. Pray with me. Gracious God, we believe. Help our unbelief. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.